Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, yesterday's show opened the floodgates on an issue rarely discussed on the airwaves, but one that clearly touched a nerve with very many of you. Heavy periods and the debilitating effect that they have on the lives of very many women. We heard from Rachel, 27 years old, in pain for two weeks of every month and has been that way for 17 years of her life. She can't get out of bed for three or four days when her period arrives. She's missed college exams. She even had to schedule her own wedding to ensure that it didn't coincide with the two-week run-up to her period. She's been refused a hysterectomy. Her gynaecologist said that she may change her mind at the age of 27 about not wanting to have children. Her gynaecologist, she told us, told her that she may actually change her sexuality. Rachel is gay, but her gynaecologist is fearful that she may actually change her sexuality and that a future male partner may want children down the line. We spoke to Janie. She's 34. She's had to sit on a folded towel if she wants to go out while she has her period. She has four kids, but she's also being told that she can't have a hysterectomy, although all the other treatment options that have been suggested to her and that she's tried have failed. Christine, 38, a mother of four. She too may change her mind, she's been told, and may want more children. She told me yesterday on the show, she just wants to be able to live her life every day of the month. Karen, she had five children. Again, cannot live her life to the full. In chronic pain and experiencing chronic bleeding. Same story, no hysterectomy. In actual fact, she was actually told that she couldn't. There was no way that they could give her a hysterectomy unless her husband basically gave permission for it. And then we spoke to Marie at the end of the show, 38, experienced everything that many of the other women who came on air yesterday and told us their stories had. She did have a sympathetic gynaecologist who she says changed her life when she had a hysterectomy. It was supposed to be keyhole. It ended up being she was cut literally, as she said herself, from hip to hip. Something went terribly wrong. The surgeon ended up scooping her womb and handfuls of blood out of her. And even though, you know, she went through the trauma of all of that, she says it changed her life. And now she is really living for the first time since she actually started her periods. So we wanted to look at this from the position of the medics who are meeting and treating women like this every day. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Dr. Orla Conlin, who is a consultant gynaecologist. Orla, thanks very much for giving us your time on the Nile Boylan show today. We, you know, I, I mentioned a number of the women who we spoke to yesterday. There were very, very many more who echoed similar sentiments, having their lives blighted by horrendous period pains, excessively heavy bleeding, having to take to the bed for days on end, not being able to leave the house. And can you maybe start by explaining some of the treatment options if a woman is referred to you by her GP because she's having this type of difficulty and she's had so for years? What are some of the treatment options and what are you looking for when a woman comes to you with these issues? Um, thanks for having me on. It's great to have an opportunity to talk about periods. Um, I mean, this is something that women suffer throughout the life. And as you say, it's already talked about. And all those examples, you know, I have patients that come to me on a basis with those issues. And I suppose those Sorry, Orla, I'm actually, I'm going to stop you there because what we're going to do is we're going to let you go and we're going to give you a call back if that's okay because the line is really, really bad unless you can very quickly move to to somewhere else. Uh, Okay, Okay. I'm going to be actually moving to my office. 
Oh, okay. Well, well, I think what we'll do, I think what we might do, Orla, is uh, we, we, we might give you a, a, a quick ring back if that's okay, because we want to hear what you have to say. As you said, you know, it's good to yes. have opportunities to discuss topics like this um, on the radio. Uh, and we want to hear it from the medic's point of view, because obviously what I want to be able to ask, Orla, is why are so many people being refused this type of treatment? I mean, the stories that we heard yesterday, and I have to say, you know, even as a production team, we were we were blown away by the response that we got to this. Uh, you know, we we there were there are so many women who, I suppose, we kind of grow up nearly with a culture that we shouldn't talk about it. And you, if you were listening yesterday, you may have heard me have a bit of a rant at some of the other messages that we were getting to the show that, you know, people were given out that we were discussing a topic like this and that we were discussing it specifically at lunchtime. Get over yourselves. This is the reality of people's lives. And if it was happening to men, I think, in the way that it happens to women, a number of men also getting in touch with the programme yesterday saying, why do you always have to talk about women's health care? Can I just point out that when the show does discuss discuss men's health care or men's issues. We don't have women who message in going, why are you always talking about men's health care? So, you know, a little bit of, of decorum, please, as we're discussing this and, and just to understand that these are things that are really affecting women on an absolutely daily basis. And actually, Helen, you got in touch with the show yesterday and welcome. We're, we're getting we're, we're, we're getting uh, uh, Dr. Orla Conlon back online in a moment. But but maybe, you know, you can be another one of the voices that, that we can ask her about. Tell us about your story and your history. Well, thank you so much in the first place for taking my call. And you know what? I stood and I literally nearly went through the floor yesterday when I heard the stories of the other women. Now, my story is I'm 54 now. I have four children. Thank God they're all adults. My baby will be 21 on Saturday. <laughs> but when, um, like that, when I was uh, 30, just after having my 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 last baby, say, and like that, uh, I had to go for the smear, and they said to me that there's abnormal cells showing up. Right. So I said okay. So they said come back again. They did nothing, and they said come back again to the clinic uh, six months later and we'll check it again. They were there again. So they said, um, will you come back in two months' time? Now, I was under a doctor. I was under we don't a want any names now, Helen, just so, no, we're, just so we're clear. A, yeah. a good consultant. Um, and like that, he was there the third time. So he said, burn them off. Just see, once they're burnt off, they shouldn't come back. Yeah. So I went through that. They got them burnt off. The next thing, back down again, they had to do more biopsies. And then they told me that there were precancerous cells and that they were beginning to take over. So then they said what they have to do is cauterize. Now, the, the, the sorry, the, oh, my, my head is gone, but they had to cauterize the neck of the womb. And that would, um, that would solve the problem. Okay, so, like so but this, this is all what they're, what they're saying to you all along. Yeah, all along, yeah. And now I had a 25-mile drive every time to go down for this clinic, you know, and I had four children at home. My husband's ex-husband was walking, you know, he did his own business. So it was hard enough for me to keep going, you know, with children and, and trying to sort this out every time. And anyway, um, like that, they cauterized the neck of the woman. They said, Helen, that's the end of your problem now. Let you Don't worry. You don't need a hysterectomy. They actually said it to me uh, before I said it. And I said, well, I said, I can't keep coping this way. I said, mentally, it's wearing me down. 
So like that, um, I went home, sure, went back for the last checkup, and next thing they said, you have to, you you will have to have a hysterectomy. And I said, I said, how come you couldn't have done that at the start? Okay, right. First day. Okay. Now we got the sorry. No, sorry but but when this. when you when you did have the hysterectomy, were you relieved at that point when they said to you, no, "This is I where we're going"? No, I was over the moon. You would have no idea. I was really over the moon that it was done. Right. The operation itself was actually very straightforward, as the lady said yesterday. No problem whatsoever. Only when they were pulling out the stuffing, because I got a suction and. A hysterectomy. They just suctioned out the womb. So then they had to pack it afterwards and <laughs> take all the stuff out. Now, that was the worst. But anyway. Yeah, but there can, um, there can always be any kind of surgical procedure that you're going to have. There's always going to be some complications. Helen, did it yeah. did it make a world of difference to you after it had been done? Oh, it definitely did for six months. That Now, the medication I was on, and I'm not sure about the other women, but at that time, the pain relief that was prescribed was called, um, oh, it's going to make this, oh, God. Anyway, I I think it's in a minute, but anyway, I was fine on that for six months. And then all of a sudden, mentally, I was literally, oh, I was in an office, I was getting no help. My body had lost a part of of these, do you know what I mean? My womb was taken out, so my I had I my, my body was mourning was actually well Helen I think uh, to be fair in in my own understanding of it you know there's other issues that crop up post hysterectomy uh, and we'll talk about that and it may shed some light on it from from your perspective as well Uh, Dr Orla Conan is back I hope on a better line this time Orla sorry about that but as you said you know this is something that we don't talk about an awful lot and that I think we do need to draw a lot of attention to so getting back to my question what about women who are in this situation who've had debilitating uh, issues with their menstrual cycles for years. What, what are the lines of treatment that, that can often and do often work? Yes, well, um, just starting again, Tara, thanks again for having me on. And it's, it's a revelation to be able to talk about this in the airwaves because despite women suffering this day and daily for maybe 40 years of their lives, it's something that's not really talked about. And I think it's a great opportunity to really highlight that it's not even just about having a bleed once a month. It's not about, you know, the impact that, that has that you you know, for having a baby and all of that. But I mean most women that have problems with their periods, it affects their whole life. You yeah. know, it affects the whole month. It you know, it is debilitating. Like even some primary school girls from the age of nine to ten are having heavy periods. Yeah. Through as you said, school, college, work, home, mm-hmm. you know, having intimate relationships, mm-hmm. there's such a massive impact as well as then the pain, not getting out of bed, crippled in two. You know, I have a, one lady a couple of weeks ago said she was standing at her father's grave and she was she could feel the blood draining, trickling down to her ankles, you know, under her trousers. You know, it is absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, as I say, so pleased that you can, you know, have the, the time to actually talk about it. And it's something that, you know, really needs to be talked about. So getting back to what you, you said then about the treatment, I mean, there are lots of treatments. And in the past, you know, historically, say 30 years ago, really the only thing you could have done was a hysterectomy. And there was a generation of women who, if they had heavy periods, you know, that's or painful periods, that's what they did get done. But, I mean, thankfully nowadays, you know, there are lots of other treatment options. And I think it is really important before deciding on something like a hysterectomy that you have had 
other treatment options because, you know, even like that last caller said, you know, the impact that it has on her psychologically, you know, it's not like going in and having your gallbladder out. You know, it's it's not not like taking, you know, having a hernia repair. It is surgery, but it is, you know, it affects your gynae organs, which has a massive impact on your quality of life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can't, you know, comment on individual cases, but certainly, um, you know, that all has to be taken into consideration. It does, and, that's and, indeed, why and indeed often some ki- in some cases, it's well, in, in cases where ovaries are removed, it's going to trigger, me- trigger menopause as well, which has course, a, a, a litany of physical and emotional um, effects. Yes. So yes, you're right, yes. it's, not, it's not, you know, it, it's something that thankfully nowadays is not the only option. So talk about some of the things that we heard about yesterday, the pill, for example, yes. uh, painkillers of, of various different types, yes. marina coils. Yes. Well, I mean, from my perspective, you know, a lot of the time, by the time patients are referred to me, they've already seen their GP and they've already, you know, gone through some of those options. And certainly the Marina, you know, from so many women, it is a miracle. We call it the Marina miracle because it has had a massive, massive, you know, um, impact on women's lives. And it has drastically reduced the number of women that have needed to have a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't suit everybody. But certainly, yes, it, it is licensed for lots of different um, problems in relation to periods like mm-hmm. fibroids, like um, endometriosis. Um, and, you know, the unfortunate thing as well is, you know, from mid-30s, even just physiologically, meaning that it is quite normal that women can have much heavier periods and it is just like turning on a tap every month. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that, it's that group of women that do seem to do really, really well with the likes of the marina. But as I said, it's not necessarily for everyone and it doesn't suit everyone. Now, even in the in the past few years, there's actually smaller versions of it um, that actually are now licensed for period problems. Um, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I would recommend even for young girls to have the smaller ones put in. Um, and they're actually licensed and designed even for teenagers. They're much smaller, and but they, again, they're lesser hormone and they can have a big impact and what period. are some of the brand names of those? Well, I, I, I would prefer not to say brand okay. names because I'm trying to, you know, stay generic and just okay. talk about the The, the, the reason I asked that, Orla, is because I yeah. actually happened to have an incident where I was with a family member um, yeah. who's, you know, you know in, in the teenage years and having issues and difficulties. And I was quite shocked when I heard that what the first line of obviously painkillers, which, you know, have been tried and aren't working, uh, was again the pill. You know, I remember going on the pill for similar reasons when I was a teenager 30 odd years ago. And I'm just a little surprised that, you know, in that 30 year period, that that's still considered to be, look, if it's effective and it works, great. But, you know, it's, an, it's you know, it's taking hormones and... I, I was just a little surprised that there wasn't something else that had been developed. Well, I mean, the pill is largely modified now and it is licensed for, you know, problems with periods. So certainly, you know, I wouldn't have any qualms with young girls being on it because of the impact that it has on their periods and the impact, for example, it has on their school life, taking time off school yeah. and also like lots of leave insert students are sitting they're hemorrhaging during their exams like it is such a disadvantage for these young girls it is absolutely horrendous but you know 
just because something's out for a long time doesn't mean that it's not good. Yes, it's true. really, really good. And, yeah. But it can also be used in different ways. It can be used continuously. It can be used with a four-day break instead of a seven-day break. So that minimizes bleeding and pain. So, And some people would take it for three consecutive months to sort of break the cycle mm-hmm. of having a cycle all the mm-hmm. time. So, I mean, there's certainly different ways of using it. So, you know, I would be a very strong advocate for that use because it's basically using hormones to stop ovulation to have an impact on the period. And once ovulation, once your ovaries aren't being stimulated, then that is when it has the big benefit, you know, to the period. So it's certainly that is still the first line management and it is very, very safe and it is very useful and okay. for lots of young girls. It gets them through their school, gets them through their exams. But yes, as I said, there are other options um, in the the lower doses of different devices that can go inside the uterus. But you see, one of the problems with heavy periods is, or anything to do with managing periods, is the impact that it has on fertility. So if it is a permanent thing, then obviously, you know, your fertility can be majorly affected. And and the other thing is, even in relation to some of, I mean, obviously it's a personal choice. Women know their own body. They know that it's cyclical. They know, I mean, I listen to so many women and I recognize that if someone's coming to tell me that it's a cyclical pain or, you know, obviously with period issues, women know their own body. I trust that and I work around that to make whatever is the best plan for them. So, and it's not for everybody to have babies and if that's what they want to consider. But, but when it comes I, to hysterectomies, you really do have to look at other options first before going through a drastic surgical procedure. Okay, and I, and, 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 I, and I absolutely take that point. But some of the stories that we heard yesterday from women who have three and four children already and they're being told, no, you can't have a hysterectomy. Why yeah. would a gynecologist turn around? As you say, women know their own bodies. They yeah. know, for example, that they have to sit on a towel to go and collect the kids from oh. school. You know, they Absolutely. know that they can't go out for three and four days a month. Yeah. You know, that they, they know that they have blood running down their legs. They know that they're bent double and they're vomiting in pain. So yeah. why would in situations where they already have, one of our listeners yesterday who came on the programme has five kids and she was yeah. being denied a hysterectomy. Yeah. Are there well, good reasons? I but can't... are there good reasons? And I and I know obviously you don't know the individual details yeah. of the case. But on yeah. a broad uh, on on broad spectrum advice, why would it be? Are there good genuine reasons why a gynecologist, when the pill has been tried, when the marina coil has been tried, when other treatment options have been used, and in every single case, the women we spoke to yesterday had tried pretty much all of those. Uh, and combinations of all of those and they were still in situations where they were in chronic pain and their lives were being impacted. What, what are other good reasons therefore why, why gynecologists will say no, a hysterectomy is not for you? Well, as you said, I can't really, you know, comment on personal individual cases when, you know, I haven't seen the patients myself. What I can comment on is what I would do in that situation. Yes, please. And, I mean, it is looking for solutions. I'm very much a a person that looks for solutions and also appreciating the impact that it has on somebody's quality of life. I mean, in some cases, I would say, look, you know, maybe a hysterectomy isn't in your best interest and maybe you have other medical problems, maybe you have problems even with having an anaesthetic. Somebody with five children, if they had five caesareans, a hysterectomy would be extremely risky in relation to okay, vomit or their bladder why? or bowel or whatever. Oh, okay, right. Why? Because, um, and because even of having to go in... Procedure, 
yeah, because of having I mean, to could, surgically go in there again. Yes, like it could be. And even with the likes of endometriosis, you know, a hysterectomy is extremely, extremely challenging surgery with, um, you know, could have massive complications because of the impact that the problem causing the heavy periods causes on your body, which causes the pain. So, you know, it is looking at, you know, solutions, but... Um, I also recognize women can't live like this. And, you know, as I say, it's 40 years of your life you're living like this. So certainly we do have guidelines. I mean, all gynecologists in Ireland are members of the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland with the Institute of Obstetrics and Gynecology. We also work very closely with the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in London. So, and we, we do work within our peers and, you know, we do decide on, on different guidelines because we feel that it's the best interest of the patient and that's why we have guidelines. So it's not that people are just deciding based on their own yeah. personal, you know, opinion. But, you know, the guidelines do give us options. Now, certainly say, for example, someone who had really severe PMT and really heavy periods and they're thinking, you know, could a hysterectomy work for me? It wouldn't be the first thing to do, but you know, there are ways of even doing a trial to see if a hysterectomy could possibly work because there are a course of injections that you can take that can basically turn off your ovaries. And then if you know that they actually work in relation to your symptoms, then you could say, well, actually, do you know what? You would be a good candidate for a hysterectomy because it is very likely to work. You know, so, you know, it's not a case of just going straight in. But as you said, a lot of these women have had other, you know, procedures done. So getting back to alternative procedures that don't require hormones, I mean, there are a few different procedures that you can get that aren't hormonal. One is endometrial ablation, and this is a a little device that goes inside the womb, and it burns and seals the lining. Now, it's done under a short anesthetic, and it's done just as a day case. And again, that has reduced the number of women needing to have hysterectomies, and that can be very successful. But again, it doesn't work for everybody and it's not suitable for everybody because if you've had cesarean, more than one cesarean section, it can be more risky So and yeah. you can't do it. So, you know, that's another procedure in relation to fibroids, which are the, you know, big um, swelling growths in the, the wall of the womb and the muscle of the womb that can cause heavy periods. There is a, a procedure that's usually done in the x-ray department of some hospitals and basically what they do is um, it goes in through a blood vessel in your gro- groin and it injects little pellets to block the blood supply to the fibroid to help shrink the fibroid. So, you know, there are other options and it's really, I mean, I'm very much believe in individualizing every patient and as I say, listening to my patients, seeing the impact it has on their quality of life and also trying to find a solution because, and sometimes for some people, the only solution is hysterectomy. Yeah. And I mean, I do a lot of hysterectomies, but it's trying to work out on an individual level, what is in the what best, is best interest, interest of, that of the individual patient. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit, um, if you wouldn't mind, Orla, about the actual procedure, because there's a number of... De- I mean, yeah. I know certainly, you know, years ago... Um, as you said, when it was sometimes the only option, it was a really invasive surgical procedure. Yeah. Now we yeah. hear about keyhole procedures that don't yeah. always work. So talk to us a little bit about the actual, what's involved in a hysterectomy. Yes, well, as I said, you know, there, as you explained there, there are different um, types and it also depends on the indication of why you're actually having it. I mean, if you have a big uterus, um, it's very difficult to do something keyhole to take something that's massive out. That That's why you may have to have your, your tummy opened, you know, to take it out because, 
you know, in the past there was a little device that sort of swizzed up the fibroids in the inside, you know, to, to make them easier to remove, but that's actually not used anymore because with that there's a risk of, you know, damage to your other organs in the inside. I mean, that's that's if it was done keyhole, but keyhole surgery is absolutely fantastic. And the beauty of the hysterectomy is being done keyhole is you can actually take the womb then out through the vagina. So it's you can have like... Um, called laparoscopic assisted vaginal hysterectomy where the you can do the top part keyhole and then it all comes through the vagina there's routine vaginal hysterectomies and that would be suitable for women then I mean another indication for hysterectomy is having a prolapse so I mean that would be the root um, now it was called suction in the past but we don't use any yes, sort of okay, suction yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just is and there's lots of new equipment and technology in relation to that that makes them a lot I mean, the one that I use uses um, diathermy, which means that we burn burn the the as we cup. So, I mean, I know that sounds a wee bit um, maybe too much information for for a, a Friday we afternoon. Have to, we, we, we have to hear it though, Orly. You it, know, we have to hear it. It, it. it actually was developed by a, a gynecologist in Nice, Henri Clave, and I actually went over to Nice to train with him. And these are the ones that you may have heard of the twenty four hour hysterectomy that. In Nice, for example, people would be in just for a day or go home the next day. Um, now, we don't have necessarily have the same infrastructure here in relation to access to hospitals or whatever because, you know, people living in a big city, if it's more rural, I wouldn't be suggesting somebody goes home that same evening. But, but certainly it means that you're less time in hospital and, um, you know, have less pain. But again, everybody's different. If you've had cesareans, yeah, and it's much more likely of complications. That you may have surgery. complications, yeah. And we did if hear... you have really bad endometriosis, you're much likely more to have complications of surgery. Yeah. And so, you know, it is really variable. And again, it's individualizing every patient. Absolutely. And just just very finally, Orla, my final question is: is if um, you know, like a number of these women who were reported to us yesterday, they've had these conversations with their gynecologists. They feel that they're mm-hmm. individual cases. They're explaining them. They've gone through the treatment. What happens if you're not happy with, you know, what your gynecologist is saying to you? What advice would you give to a patient who maybe feels that they're not being listened to in an empathetic fashion? Um, well, I mean, I can understand that it is very difficult and, you know, I suppose, as again, I can't, you know, comment on individual cases, but perhaps it would be best maybe to have a chat with their GP or, you know, maybe say, look, I would like to just have another conversation with the gynecologist because, you know, in the in the hospital setting, it's very much, you know, time pressure and time and everybody's busy and the thing about, I mean, that's not to detach from the fact that, you know, these patients need to be sorted out, but... But a lot of hospitals, for example, when gynecologists are in their clinic, they're also covering labor ward. They could be just after a call to say they have to rush and dash to labor ward. There's somebody in distress or something like that. So, you know, as I say, I can't comment individually, but I don't think there'd be any harm in just asking for another consultation just to reiterate. And maybe, you know, when they say, you know, a hysterectomy is not for you. It's because they do have real concerns, yeah, okay. you know, in relation to patient safety and whatever. So, and so the patient doesn't necessarily feel that they're being dismissed out of hand or yeah. or, or anything like that. Doctor Orla Con- Conlon, consultant gynaecologist, thank you very much for giving us your time today uh, and giving us, you know, some of the other sides of those stories uh, that we heard from uh, the women who contacted us yesterday. <laughs> 
Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.